Welcome to Parashat Ekev. It's a very special day today in our Hebrew calendar. Today happens to also be Tu Be'av. I'd like to spend some time talking about the significance of the holiday and why it's such a celebrated holiday in our calendar year. Um, if we actually wanted to, just before we went into uh, Parashat Ekev, if we wanted to quote the words of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, just to give you a little bit of a framework about what kind of auspiciousness is in this day. Um, he says, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says, the two happiest days of the year are Yom Kippur and Tu Be'av. Some of you might remember back in the day, there used to be a dance after Yom Kippur. Uh, that might be for many reasons, but one of the reasons is because it's so closely tied to this day, to Tu Be'av. They're linked together. We're going to want to talk about what Yom Kippur could possibly have in common with a day like Tu Be'av. So... Maybe we should start in the Perasha because Devarion Beyomo, and then we'll take it into Tu Be'av, and then we'll come back to the Perasha. Come sit here so we could be all cozy. Um, it's on page 90. We're starting chapter 7, verse 12. The Perasha is called Ekev, and the word is not such an easy word to translate. We will read the first Pasuk. It starts with vehaya. Before I even read the whole first verse, we should know this one thing. As we're uh, getting comfortable in our seats, we should get into the sense of understanding that the word vehaya in and of itself is transportive. It transports us. Vehaya means what was. But this means vehaya, what will be. So what we're about to read is literally a bridge between what was and what will be. In simple terms, you could say everything old is new again. Last week, maybe we said we have to bring our past into our future. This word, vehaya should really tell us something even greater because there's only one being that could live in two time frames at once. There's only one, was, is, and will be. It's actually three time frames. The past, the present, and the future. For God, it's all one. He's not bound by time. And so when we open a perasha that starts with this word that says vehaya, that seems to have everything, including the letters of God's name, it's telling us, reader, I have for you here the recipe of how to be in the shadow, in the image, in the mirror of Yudke Vavke. Just with this one little word, Vehaya. So if you're walking out of this room today, take the word that starts out Perasha. I know the next word is going to be Ekeb. We'll speak to that also. And we'll speak to that also. But we can't get to word two. And this word, of course, we could spend days meditating on it. The letters that comprise the word, everything about it is very, very deep and very, very rich. But for a simple moment, yes, 
The word ekev, I just remember it. I didn't get to ekev yet about a heel, you're going to say? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not there yet. I, most okay. people have that association. I saw you do that, so I figured that's where you are. I, before we get to the heel, we have to understand that the stage is being set. The vehaya is here to tell us, reader, do you want to be a person who's able to uplift and be transcendent of time? Do you want to be able to live in the past, in the present, and the future simultaneously? Well, here's the recipe. It's right here. So the way that it's uh, uh, introduced to us is already with a very big trumpet, vehaya. The next word that Sonia's touching upon is the word Ekev, and it's tied together, and it says, Ekev Tishme'on, and we're not sure what that word means. The English will say, um, when, when you heed. It's like a little bit missing of its flavors, because Tishme'on means to hear. And Ekev, yes, page 980. Tishme'on means to hear. So there's a lot of things. It doesn't mean when you will heed. We're missing the whole point of what the Torah is offering us if we think that this is just telling us a simple that it will be if you heed the laws and you follow the statutes that God gave us, then he will keep his end of the bargain and he will fulfill the covenant that he promised. By the way, that's very nice in its simplicity. It's beautiful. It explains the two sides of the bargain. Listen to God, and he'll keep his promises. That's fantastic. But if we pay closer attention to the way it's expressed, all of a sudden a whole new understanding of self emerges. And the understanding that's going to come out of here is going to be as we peel apart some of these words. So we see that our perasha is called Ekev. Sonia already said... She hears the word Ekev and she thinks of the word heel because that's why Yaakov, Jacob, got his name because he was holding on to his brother's heel. So basically, Jacob's named for Esav's heel, which doesn't really make so much sense for us. That's a whole nother story that needs to be unpacked. But since we're pressing the rewind button, and since we're trying to find out what does this word mean, it doesn't mean if you will hearken. There has to be more to it. Because you don't need to use such cumbersome language to say if you will hearken. You could have just said, Im tishme'u, finish. Or Im tishme'u. There's a, in Hebrew, it's much easier to just express something. So when this word ekev comes on the scene, it was created for a purpose. Where do we first see this word in our universe? When is this word first used? Why is there even a word that sounds like a heel, but means, if you will hearken? How does the same three letters represent the back of my foot and hearkening to the ordinances? How, I need to find a common thread between those two concepts. And the way to understand what words mean is really to go back to the first place that they appear, because they were created 
to express a concept. And now if you could press that rewind button even before Yaakov, and since you asked for a page, I may as well just give it to you from now. If you went all the way back to page 16, you would see that this word came into creation in a very, at a very strange time. Does anybody need a kumash? Just raise your hand, I have a few extras. So since I already gave you a page, maybe you could start perusing the page and see where you might find this word, possibly in verse 15. For those on Zoom, it would be Bereshit, chapter 3. Yes. Perek 3, verse 15. So our perashah today, somehow, some way, which is what we're going to have to start to break our heads to put together, is connected, and we're not surprised anymore because in the introduction I told you that vehaya meant wah. Vehaya. This, everything is one unbroken strand, one unbroken cord, one sound that's just mithalech, that keeps on moving and going. So the sound that you're hearing or the place that you're at is coming from a previous source and it's heading to a future source. What's being told, and maybe I'll take a step back, what's being told here when they're at the end of the sojourn in the desert, when they're at the cusp of getting into Eretz Yisrael, what are they being told? They're being told something that attaches them to where? To the very beginning of creation. It's it's a big, big uh, uh, um, perspective that they're asking us to have. And that's really what this is about because the whole perasha is gonna be from seeing things in a narrow way to seeing things in a broad way, to seeing that the whole world was created just for me, or to see that there is an entire universe out there. You know, bishvili nivraha olam. This is the push and pull that the perasha is gonna take us. I'm just giving you a couple of spoilers just so that you start to maybe formulate your own ideas of how you're going to see these verses. So the, when I say it's the two concepts that we're constantly struggling with. How big am I that the whole universe was created exclusively for me? I am in that vista, the center of the universe, as opposed to anuchi, I'm just a speck of dust. Somewhere in between, I'm everything and I'm nothing, somewhere in between is where we are going to lie at any given point in our lives. Sometimes we're going to be at one polar end, sometimes at the other, and most of us lie somewhere on that spectrum. And the Torah is going to address that as well. So when it shows the vehaya, again, it's broadening our mind to the entire spectrum, to where and how we see ourselves. And then when it's going to use this word ekev, which is very, very, excuse me, it's a clumsy word. It's not, I didn't need the word at all, let alone insert it here and then nobody. I, you're going to have 
20 chumashim and you can have 20 different translations because there really isn't an accurate way to describe a heel in the middle of my sentence. So then, we say Torah. Yes. It's, it, I, I think it's not so much the heel, but it's the, it's the, speaking about the snake. Yes, thank you. And our vulnerability so, that we always have to keep in mind. So there we go. So we're already, this is why we need our Zoomers. These are the greatest minds, not in America, but in the world. And I mean it with all the love in my heart. Already, Zella, right? Yes. Already Zella is saying, wait a minute. By the time I get to the place where I'm about to go over the bridge, there wasn't really a bridge. I'm going to cross the, the Jordan. By the time I get to that space, I need to be reminded of something. And she's saying that Ekev in chapter 3 is taking me back to a place. And she's also rightly saying it's a place of vulnerability. Why vulnerability? What happened in that place, in that space, at that time, is very telling for what we need. We need to take that into the new world. We need to bring that with us. So if we only said that we need to bring the notion and the awareness that we've tripped and we've failed, then I wouldn't be today's two be'av. I, I'm not, I can't, I have to bring you up, not bring you down. That would be a very, very sad thing. But I think really where Zella hopefully wants to take us is to an understanding of our drives, our makeup, who we are, our tendencies from the very beginning. And what were those drives? And what were those tendencies? And maybe if we identify and locate the word itself, it might help us. So how did we even get involved with the snake in the Garden of Eden? The cliff notes would be very simple. God said, don't eat from that particular tree. The snake comes and challenges and says, is it true we're not allowed to eat from any of the trees? And then the woman says, no. And then the woman says, uh, uh, I'm sorry, says, can we eat from none, none of the trees? And the snake comes and says the famous line, God knows that on the day that you eat from the tree, what's going to happen to you? Your eyes will open up. And you will be like God. And that is the whole temptation. The temptation was never the fruit. The temptation is what the fruit was going to yield. And the fruit was going to yield an ability for us to be gods. God wanted to keep that fruit for himself because he knew if you ate from that fruit, then you and him would be on an even playing field. Now, that was a very, very tempting thing. That I could see being tempted. And the aftermath, and of course, I hate to, if you don't know the story, I hate to spoil it for you, but she eats from it, she gives it to her husband, he eats from it, and then the next thing you know, eviction. The notice, you're out. I have a question. Yes. In, in page 16, when he talks Ekev, he's talking about being cursed. In the page 980, he's talking about being blessed. Shelly, ask me why I love you. So, Zella, you're not here to see Shelly. I'm going to move this here so you can meet your friend. It must have been sisters in another lifetime. And so Shelly is saying the most beautiful way to see Torah is that we're coming full circle. 
we're closing the circle. You know, the Torah is like a scroll. So Bereshit and Devarim are literally neighbors. The beginning and the end, the, 12, the 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, the 1 and the 12 are very close to each other because it's a circle. And Shelley is saying, Ekev is a response. Today's Ekev, today's Perasha is a response to the original Ekev. And why is she saying that? She says, because the original Ekev was attached to, and that's why I like when you have Chumashim in your hand, so thank you. What is the original Ekev attached to? A curse. A separation. Animosity. What is this Ekev attached to? Blessing. I, I really, I'm, I'm remiss for not reading the first chapter and then some of this week's Perasha. Because all it has, this is, this is a violin's moment, this Perasha. If you had a whole orchestra here, every single musician would be playing at full tilt. Why? Because it's going to speak of blessings beyond our wildest imagination. And then when Shelley and Zella get together, Zella's going to say, those blessings were already in place. God was ready to say, here you go. And then Shelley's saying, we didn't lose it. We have a chance to come back home because that's where we are now. That's where we are in Parashat Ekev. We have one foot in the Jordan and our eyes, our feet may be on this side, but our eyes, we know Moshe Rabbeinu was able to see Eretz Yisrael. So our eyes were already in the land. We are, it's like, like, like a really literally a human bridge. Part of us is here and part of us is there. And what Shelley's adding to the story is that by re-entering the land, it's kivyachol, which means as if we're re-entering Maybe not the Garden of Eden per se, but we're re-entering a utopia where we once again could have a pristine relationship with God. And so I'm going to use the word ekev, says God. I'm going to use the word that started the problem to end the problem. And what was that story? What was in verse 15? So just to go back for one second. What was so tempting that we committed the crime to begin with? The temptation was that we wanted to be gods. And the irony was why? Before I even created you, you already were. I told the manufacturers, I went in the factory and I said, I gave the orders. Before you even came into existence, you already were designed from conception. You already were designed to be in our image, to be in our likeness. Who else on the, in the world could be a creator more than who? The woman. The woman. God had to take sand and dirt and dust from the four corners of the world, whatever version you want to follow, so that he could make a man. 
woman, she's able to produce from her own self another human being. It's, it's, I know we don't really sit and think of it that much, but really it's a, it's a fascinating, I know the science of it took over, so like we broke it down into, you know, chromosomes and things or whatever it is that we broke it down into, and we took the miraculousness out of it that a human being could photocopy themselves. It's, it's, if you stop and think about it, it's, it's really amazing. And God is saying, wow, I made you that way. You're already a creator. You don't need, and this is where the parasha is going to take us, you don't need something external to intensify or glorify or uh, sanctify what's internal. Because what's internal is already at the peak of its greatness. Because you know what's internal? It's that air that I breathed inside of you. God breathed into us his own personal godliness. So when we get to Ekev Tishme'un, it's sort of saying in one word, it's like a buzzword, it's like a keyword, it's a, a target word, which is saying wa. It's saying, I'm just going to throw this word in here, ekev, which we all agree has no business being on this page, let alone the name of El Peraja. I'm going to put this word in here because the choice is yours. And what is the choice? Let's now, let's look at how the word comes and what its understanding is here. This is even before Yaakov. This is where this word appears and it says, Hashem um, tells the snake, because you did this, you're the most cursed of all the animals and you're going to have to slither on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. That's the verse that proceeds. It's just to give you a little context. What? If I had to, I, I know I do this a lot, but I can't help it. If the snake has to represent an orientation, an axis, what would the snake represent? Sophia is doing this. He is the epitome of the horizontal existence. What does that mean? He is so horizontal that when he walks, he's actually on his belly. And when he eats, he's eating the dust of the earth. So if you wanted to just take this Ekev word and start to put a little bit of a context around it, you'd say that Ekev is telling us, the choice is yours. Do you want to be this horizontal Ekev kind of person? We didn't read the rest of it, so let me give it to you now. The next verse says, Ve'eva asit. I'm going to put an enmity, a hatred between you and the woman, between her offspring and your offspring. Hu yeshufecharosh. He is going to do what? Try and beat you on the head. If you see a snake, what do you do? You try and beat, you run for sure, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> run is the be better answer. But the Torah is saying if he sees you, he's going to try and do what? It seems to say 
he's going to beat you on the head. And ata teshufenu akev means you're going to bite him on the heel. It's a little bit cryptic, the truth. Because like you said, who's getting into a fight with a snake? Me, I'm out of there. <laughs> the sooner the better. Maybe it's saying, who... I'm sorry. Maybe it's uh, maybe the words that are "Hu uh, Those of you who speak Arabic, Shufi. What does Shufi mean? Look. Who Maybe he's gonna show you the man. Humanity is gonna show you what the head. And you know what the snake is gonna do? You know what you're going to show him? The heel. The snake is going to always try and tell us, you're on the bottom. And the man is constantly going to try and do what? To step on him, but at the same time, do what? Focus on, and now we're going to change the words a little bit, because I said the head and the foot, but maybe man is going to be the one who's going to bring to the table... The intellect, yes, the vertical for sure. So Sophie's doing this, we're friends for a thousand years, so we already think alike. And yes, if you're going to be Mr. Horizontal on the heel, he's going to be Mr. Vertical on the head a thousand percent. So thank you, I should have expressed that clearly. But what does the head represent, the seat of the brain, the intellect? What does man have? What does man have on you? He has what Moselle has. He's smarter and he knows better than to do what? than to engage with something toxic, than to engage with something that is uh, um, a, a, a horrible, uh, no good could come from that. He's going to see you, but use his head. And what are you going to do? How will you, give me one second, how will a snake, how will an influence like that be able to beat us? How will he be able to pull a fast one on us? He can't get to our head because we're too smart for him. But he could get to our what? Our heel. What does the heel represent? When somebody says, we're going to dig in my heels. What does a heel mean? What did you say? The emotions, the um, impulses, it's the foundation of the whole body, but you know which foundation of the body it is? It's the physical foundation. You see, we have two foundations. My physical foundation is in my heel, and that, Mr. Snake, you have the ability of compromising. But my intellect... That foundation is where? In my head. And that Mr. Horizontal Snake on the bottom slithering on your belly and eating dust, that you can't ever, back to Shelley, mess with again. You messed with my Rosh, because they say that the snake used to be upright. So you were able to come and do what? And engage with my mental faculties. But you know what God said? Ekev, I'm only going to give you the wa. I'm only going to give you the ability to reach the physical part of man. No longer will a snake be able to harm us or our intellect. 
somebody wanted to say something. Yes. Just to add to it, like it's not just it's not just the ankle lock, it's also your will. Like animals don't have that ability. I love that. I love that. So she's, we're adding to, remind me your name, I know we're cousins. Lauren, thank you, I'm sorry. Um, I went to school with your mother. That's the scarier part of the whole thing. Sophie, it's Betty's daughter. So that's crazy. Um, Lauren is saying it's not just the mind, it's the ratzon. It's a person's will. And that's really a lot of what's going to take place now in Parashat Ekev. So rather than spend, I can't believe I spent so much time on the first word, but I wanted you to see that all of Torah is so interconnected that a single word like Ekev could transport us, could make us realize that we have a head and we have a heel. And there are many more. um, Yes. Hi, it's Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Um, doesn't Ekev also have something to do with like already or I did or like in the past? So it, that would be, so since Hannah's bringing that up, if you'll turn quickly in Bereshit, I was going to let it go, but you, you're my cue to say, I think it's important. Um, chapter 22 in Bereshit, verse 18, since you happen to mention it and it's on page 104, And this is also going to answer to Shelley's point and Zella's point. I was going to take you down this little memory lane of Ekev's, but then when I realized it was too be'av, I, I didn't want to let that go. But just to give to add another brick to our little road that we're building, you'll see, because Hannah's saying, isn't it even talking about something that was? So, I'm jumping right in, dropping a pin in Parashat Vayera. This is... Abraham's a blessing that's being given to Abraham and when is it being given to him after the Akedah God comes to him and tells him I'll go back a drop I'll go to verse uh, 16 or 15 an angel calls out to Abraham from the heavens and he says be nishpata be nishpati I swear in the words of God, that because you did this thing, that's for you, Hannah, it's talking about something that you did in the past, and you didn't withhold your son, your only son. Back to Shelley's. Now we're going to have blessings come from this. You're going to be blessed. Your children will be plentiful, like the stars in the sky, and like the sand in the earth. That's for Sophie's. When you tell me stars in the sky, sand in the earth, automatically what's happening? What kind of an axis is being drawn, right? So it, he's, it's as if God is saying from head to toe, from stars to sand, this is the blessing that your children are going to have and they will inherit the gates of their enemies. It's speaking to, what's so beautiful is that the verses speak to each other. This verse is speaking to our other enemy, Eva Asit, enmity I will place between you and the snake. Now God's giving a blessing with the same word, and he's saying, wow, you're going to be able to overcome your enemies. I didn't show you the word yet, but you'll see it now. And through your children, all of the world will be blessed. Remember the orchestra? They're still playing the same tune. They're still playing the same music. 
this magnificent melody that we're going to be like the stars of the sky and the sand of the earth and we're going to be blessed and our enemies will have no dominion over us. That music is still alive and well, not just in Parashat Ekev. It's still alive and well today. The maestro wants the orchestra to keep singing, wants these uh, uh, covenants to be upheld. He wants to give this to us, and now, finally, for you, Hannah, not only is the entire world going to be blessed to you, but for you or through you, ekev hasher shamata bekoli. The ekev that you asked about, isn't it about something that we did already? Because you didn't withhold your son from me, you earned these merits, these points. I'm reading Ekev and I have to say to myself, wow, we started off on shaky ground with one Ekev where we got evicted. We reclaimed God's good graces and promises through the next Ekev. And once again, the blessings were all reaffirmed to us. And now we had a whole story between page 104 and 980. <laughs> I can't give you the whole story, but we went through a lot of ups and downs. The most important part of the story, again, the cliff notes is one, two. We're going to skip a few. We're going to end up, where's God telling us? Ekev, you're still standing, and the blessing still holds. Not only does the blessing of Abraham hold, but there's the opportunity to overturn the curse. Where do I sign? Anybody reading this should say, Ekev Tishme'un, I'm here, I'm ready. And then the rest of the verse in this week's parasha, back on 980, says what? The Brit, the one that he made with your forefathers. What is being said? It's everything is woven together. We're taking the thread from Gan Eden, bringing it through Abraham. I can't take you through every single one because there's not enough time. But every time we see that word, like today, it's a reminder. The music's still playing, and God is still waiting to make good on his promise. And most importantly, we're not the snake. We have our Rosh and we are standing upright, and this tishme'un, v'haya ekev tishme'un. I'm just gonna add one, I'm giving you three words. I'm sorry, Ellen, I said it wasn't a lot of Hebrew, and then you came and I threw the whole Hebrew book up. Just three words, just this third word, because we're all sitting, hopefully, at the edge of our seats saying, encore, encore, what can we do to get the music to keep playing, and we don't want it to ever stop. Right? Tishme'un. Hear it. If you hear the music, it'll keep playing. And what is, why, why they use this word specifically? Because once the whole debacle in Gan Eden went down, we have this word first appear. Where Adam says, Et kocha shamati bagan. I, I heard your voice, God, in the garden. Because up until now, where was the voice of God? Inside of him. It was an internal voice. And once he ate from the fruit of the tree, all of a sudden, rather than hearing the voice of God from within, which is not recordable, 
It's not an audio that you could play. It's something that you hear inside of you. Adam was saying, wait, I, 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 I was disoriented because I heard your sound, I heard your voice, where? Outside of me. Outside. Which is a whole completely different experience. And why are we bringing this up today? Because God's saying what? The way the music's still playing, if you listen for it, the voice of God is still manifesting and reverberating inside of us. It's when we lose our way that we hear that voice outside of us. It's external to us. But the voice of God internal to us it's like the Kalim of the Beit HaMikdash, for instance. They say, what happened to the Kalim, the original vessels? The original vessels, their light came from where? From within. They glowed from the inside out. Subsequent vessels, subsequent even representations of vessels, we have to give the light to the vessels as opposed to the original vessels that gave the light of themselves, from themselves. They in and of themselves shone. And so this is what the Torah is telling us. It's just the first tiny little introduction. But just so you're aware, and please, on your own time, read the Pirashah. It's prayer. It is the Shema Yisrael. Again, remember last week we started the Shema? It's a continuation of the Shema Yisrael, word for word. You don't have to look for it and say, oh, this really means this. No, it's word for word. The Shema is right in here. And in telling us this story... It's also in Bereshit, because Ekev Asher Shamata. Ekev Asher Shamata. That the whole idea of Ekev Tishme'un, thank you. Ekev Asher Shamata. This word Ekev and Shamoa, these two words seem to travel together very beautifully. And what, do they what are they really telling us? How are we listening? Are we listening literally with our ears? Are we listening with our hearts? Are we listening in the present? Are we only listening now? Or can we broaden our scope of listening to do what? Are we hearing the original promises? Are we hearing them? Because today we're reading them and so hopefully we're bringing them into our lives. But when the going gets tough, we really have to be able to hear that this music was played in Gan Eden, it was played for Abraham, it was played for the Jews in the, in the desert, and they're all coming across the Jordan and they're all performing in Eretz Yisrael and the most important thing for us reading this today is what? The music's still playing. Can we hear it? Do we hear God saying these words to us? Can we hear the music? It says really, Ekev Tishme'um, just those two words. And what stops us from hearing it? And what allows us to hear it? And who shuts that music? It's never off. It's a constant. It's Hayah. It's hoveh, it's yihiyeh, it's constantly reverberating. To the degree that we're going to tune into it, that's how much we're going to be able to hear of it. Ekev tishme'un. And then what does God say? The more you hear, 
the more blessing comes in. So simple. This sounds like a simple thing. You open the door this much, then this much comes in. You open the door this much, then that much comes in. You open the whole thing, the whole thing comes in. Very easy. I don't even need to hear the blessing anymore. What I really need to hear, because I know the blessings. I know them from Bereshit. I know them from Shemot. I know the blessings. What I really need to learn is how to bring them in. And so... Vivian. Yes. If you do the gematria of Ekev, it's 172. You add up the digits, that's 10. And 10 is symbolic of a minion, minyan, and also the number 10 that followed us throughout history. history. I think that's very, very so beautiful. That's where we hear God's voice. So Gail's bringing a Kabbalistic perspective. I'm going to add to it if, you, if it's okay with you. She's saying the letters add up to 10 if you do the math in that way. You could just keep it simple and say the 10 are the 10 ma'amarot, the 10 utterances that God created his world with. If you can hear, and what does that mean to hear? How can I hear today God's 10 utterances millennia ago? How's that possible? But if on some conscious or subconscious level, I recognize that God created the world, or on some conscious level, I realize the 10 dibrot, because she's saying the number 10 takes us through history, the 10 commandments, if I heed his commandments and I recognize that he's Bore Olam, that he's the creator of the world, I'm already doing what? Am I shutting doors or am I opening doors? I'm opening these doors. And as I open the doors, what happens? I take the ekiv of the heel of cursing and I turn it into the ekiv of blessing. And Abraham started to make that rotation when he was about to sacrifice his son and God started the process, but it's still ongoing. It's still ongoing till today. And so with this understanding, I wanna take a minute and um, I'm first looking at my notes, so I apologize. I'd like to dedicate today's class and our learning to the Leilui uh, Nishmat, the raising of the Neshama of my very dear friend's father, Yehuda ben Aviva, he was the embodiment of Torah. He loved Torah. He learned Torah. He lived Torah. And so, therefore, I think it's very fitting that we don't only learn this Torah, which is the written Torah. There's a whole nother Torah that was given to us. And that is the Torah Sheba Alpeh, the one that people share with one another. And the way that Torah, or the books that you'll see in the library, came to be is, yes, Moshe was dictated the Torah. He wrote it down, right? That's the Torah Shebikhtav. But then, what happened? If you just read the Pirkei Avot, right? It went on and on for generations. And Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi said, wait a minute. I need to take all of this information and sort of canonize it. There's too much. It's going from family to family. And there was a fear that something could get lost, so he put it into the Mishnah. And then from the Mishnah, that was also discussed, and that became the Gemara. And there was a whole, uh, uh, um, tons and volumes written. And in these volumes, 
because it's hard to find out. You want to learn about Tuba'av, which is today, and I think it pays to spend a little time talking about it. Tuba'av is mentioned. And what does it say about Tuba'av? I had said originally that Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel had said that Yom Kippur and Tuba'av were coming a little full circle of the happiest days of the year. And that's it, sof pasuk. We don't even know why. And then we start to say, okay, wait a minute. Let me think about Av. You know, Av, we said last week, was Menachem Av. It was a time that we needed to be comforted. The first half of Av, at least the first nine days and maybe even the tenth, some say the ashes were still burning. That time of Av was a very sad day, a very sad, I'm sorry, time period. And then comes along... Rabbi Shimon ben, ben Gamliel, and he says, what? Said, it's the happiest time in the middle of the month. So everybody knows the middle of the month is what? Is the month where the moon is fullest. I don't know if anybody saw the moon last night. It was literally the silvery moon. I, I, I never saw anything. And tonight, if we're zocheh and fortunate enough to see and it's not cloudy, the moon is going to be at its most spectacular. And what's so beautiful about that? This moon, the month is called Av, the father of all months. This moon is especially bright. And I don't know about the solstice and all those things. I'm not so uh, <laughs> educated in that whole uh, world. But I will tell you this. They say that this moon is the most beautiful, brightest moon. And according to the writings, it's because when you're able to see light with the backdrop having been darkness, that light shines brightest. And so now we're going to see the 15th with the backdrop of the darkness that came all before this day today. All of the mourning and all of the suffering. It's, it's going to be a super moon. It's going to be a super moon. You it's see, I told most, you. It's when the moon is closest to the earth. There you go. The moon is closest to the earth. They call that a super moon. Thank you. And, and it's interesting also because we call, we're making a fuss about the fact that the month is called Av. And then we say, oh, it means father. And we made a whole story about it. But the truth of the matter is the names of the, moon, of the months all came from the Babylonians. We have the first month, the second month, the third month. We don't have names for the month. As a matter of fact, if you think about the days of the week, if you look in, if you, if you go and read in Torah, there's the first day, the second, there's only one day that has a name, Shabbat. So what's with Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? What is, where did that come from and what is that all about? Again, all of that was influenced by the foreign countries that we stayed in. My mother would like this. Well, Sunday we know is for the pagan god, the sun. That was the biggest God, and then Moon Day, Monday was for the moon, and then the Spanish names give it away very easily. I actually wrote them down. Lunes is Luna, is Monday. Martes is for the planet Mars, beautiful. Miércoles, Mercury. Thursday, Thor. Viernes, Venus. And Sabado or Sabbath was for Shabbat. It already had a name, so they didn't give it a new name. 
But a lot of these uh, understandings came from that uh, ideology. But now we have to once again ask ourselves, what does Yom Kippur have in common with Tu Be'av? That's really the question, and we can't draw conclusions unless we have an understanding of what happened on Tu Be'av and what the day represents. So since it's Tu Be'av today, I'll take you down uh, through a little bit of history. Some of the main things that are recorded are according to Rabbi Yehuda, on this day, all the tribes were allowed to intermarry. What happened? With the daughters of Selovchad back in the day, you'll remember when they wanted to inherit land, God told Moshe, fine, women could inherit on the condition that in their generation, while they were holding the deed to the land, they had to marry somebody from their own tribe so that the land would stay, that was Menashe, for instance, the land would stay in the tribe of Menashe. Somewhere along the lines, people got the notion that Reuven's only going to marry Reuven, and Halabi's only going to marry the Halabis, and this one's going to only marry this one. I'm only no, not going past Avenue J if I want to find some. All of a sudden, every tribe did what? started to intermarry, and then what happened? They each became their own people, and they were losing the national interconnectedness. And on the 15th of Av, it was decided that the tribes would start to intermarry. That was just one level. The next level was a very... uh, uh, gruesome, gory story. If you know it, it's called Pilegesh Begiv'ah. And again, to keep the whole class G-rated as possible, Google it on your own. But basically, the tribe of Benjamin tortured and ultimately ended up murdering this woman, this Pilegesh, in Giv'ah, in the portion of land that belonged to Binyamin. Again, Read the details on your own. It was, I think, one of possibly the most heinous crimes committed on Jewish territory by Jewish people. So it was horrific. It was so horrific that this tribe of Binyamin was ousted. And all the other tribes got together and said, we forbid our daughters to marry any of the men from Shevet Binyamin. Because if this is who they are, and this is what they're capable of, we don't want any of our daughters to marry them. On the 15th of Av, finally, that ban ended up being lifted. Also, on the 15th of Av, we know that in the desert, because the spies had come back with a terrible report and the people cried, God said, you guys are not coming into the land. Only the people either born here or under the age of 20, are going to be allowed into the desert, into the promised land. So what happened? I never knew that this is, again, according to the Masoret, this is how it happened. I I just thought that every day a couple of people died and that was the end of it. No. It happened to be that since the crime and the crying was on Tisha B'Av, God said, I'm going to make this a day for crying. Before Tisha B'Av, the people all dug their own graves and they slept in their grave because if you do the math, 600,000 people and you have 38 years for them to die, it's 15,000 people 
And imagine the Chevra Kadisha trying to handle 15,000 people on the same day. There's no way that they'd be able to handle it. So to make things easier, they would sleep in their graves. Those who didn't die woke up. And those who died, I'm sorry to say, that's where they slept eternally. I didn't bring you here to make you sad. I will tell you that what happened on the last year, they went to sleep in their graves. They woke up. They looked around. I'm still here. They looked to see if their friend, if their neighbor, if their brother. Miraculously, nobody died. They said, it must be we counted wrong. The moon between the 14th and the 15th, you can't see, or between the 9th and the 10th, excuse me, you can't tell if you were a day too early or whatever. They all went back to sleep the next night in their graves. Nobody died. The next night, the next night, by the 15th of Av, when they saw the full moon, they realized that, wow, the curse was over. And not only that, they who weren't sure, there were a lot of people on the borderline who weren't sure of when they were born and they didn't have you know, birth certificates and no exact dates. All the people that Tisha Be'av or that Tu Be'av realized that they were going to go into the promised land and it was a day of extreme uh, joy and celebration. A couple of other things happened on this day. You all remember King Solomon. Unfortunately, he had a son, Rechavam, was ill-advised to tax the people like crazy. It caused the civil war and the, and the nation split in two. You ever hear of the 10 lost tribes? Mm-hmm. So two of the tribes stayed in Jerusalem, Yehuda, because that's the kingship is from, King Solomon's from Yehuda, and the Libyim and the Kohanim, because they're staying to minister the temple. The other 10 tribes go up north to, to Dan. And they get for themselves a new king. His name is Yeravam. And now Yeravam is going to say, if the people go back to their temple, they're going to want to go back to their king. So instead, let me keep the people up here north. And as the three festivals, Regalim, came around, the people are saying, what do you mean? I, I need to go to the... No problem. And he built a second temple, and he put two golden idols in the temple. And he put an entire army to circle the area. If anybody tries to leave to go down, that's the last time he sees the light of day. And so that's how he was able to, A, separate. When you hear about the 10 lost tribes, those are the people, those are the tribes. Why did we lose them? Because it started with a temple that had two golden idols, and it ended up with assimilation, and they ended up, whether in Africa or where or here or there, they ended up dispersed. They got lost religiously and therefore they no longer were part of our people. Those are the lost tribes. But why am I telling you the story today is because finally, on the 15th of Av, Hoshea made an edict and said, if anybody wants to go back to the temple, they will be allowed to go peacefully. And so once again, we started the seeds of unification with this 15th of Av, uh, allowance for the people to come back and get access. Two other things quickly. They start out horrible, but they end up hopefully happy. The Bar Kokhba, you've heard that term, you've heard about the Bar Kokhba rebellion. Long story short, in Betar, there was a terrible massacre. 
and many of the people, there was heaps and heaps of people that were, that died, and if that wasn't bad enough, they were left with no human dignity rights of burial. But finally, on the 15th of Av, the people were allowed to go and bury their loved ones. And the miracle that happened was that it was Tu Be'av, and the bodies that should have by then decomposed were intact and perfect. And people saw that as a sign that Hashem and His miracle, miraculous ways are still with us. Even in the devastation and even in the horror, God's still performing miracles and is still amongst us. And then the last one that I'm going to mention for today, which I think is very beautiful, you, you're going to hopefully be familiar with it. This is the time of year when the sun is highest that they stopped chopping wood. They can say, stop chopping wood. <laughs> yeah, a whole holiday because they stopped chopping wood. It's actually called the break the axe. You don't need the axe anymore to chop wood. And why is that such a fantastic day in our history? Is because we're going to take something that's an axe or metal that's used or could be used for violence. You know, in the Beit HaMikdash, you weren't allowed to use any metal you weren't allowed to use metal to cut stones or to do anything because metal is a sign as a symbol of war and of, of uh, you know, fighting or destruction. We're going to break the axe because why? Because no longer do we have to use metal for, or, or let's say this, we're not going to use any metal and instead what are we going to do? We're going to take the wood why was the wood cut in the first place? Why were people chopping wood all the way up till the middle of summer? It was so that it could be used for the altars, for the Beit HaMikdash. They were using it in order to share what they had. It was starting to take us from a place of, and now we're gonna come back full circle almost, from being selfish and self-centered. And now that I am going to turn my sword into a plow, you know, those, those beautiful sayings of, of no enemy will raise an, uh, a sword to his enemy. This time of year, now, this particular 15th of Av is when the um, grapes start to be harvested. And because the grape harvesting starts, a very common practice used to be that the women would go into the fields. Somebody asked me if I was wearing white today. My mother said, just go with it, so yes. The women would wear white because they wanted to dress up as potential future brides. And they would dress in white and they would dance in the vineyards. And the idea was that they would borrow each other's clothing because on this day, all the women were equal. They were. On, on equal footing. Nobody was more beautiful, nobody had richer linens, everybody was equalized, and they would actually sing to the men. And one of the verses from the Eshet Chayil very much speaks to this, where they would say, Sheker hachen vehevel hayofi. Don't look at beauty, don't look at external, uh, um, whatever, beauty. Look at the inside of a woman. Because you can't look at my dress because you don't even know if it's mine or not. 
and it's nighttime, there is enough of a moon for you to see me, but don't look that closely because what's on the outside is not really what's the most important. It's what's on the inside that counts most. And then the women would call out and they would say this thing and they would say, they would say, uh, you know, raise your eyes. They would call out to the men and they would say, don't look for beauty, look for family, look for pedigree. How many of us tell our boys, family is everything. Look at the family. You know what they were really saying? And you know what the Gemara uh, uh, that brings down this story is telling us? I found it very beautiful. Is the girls were saying, every one of us, whether or not we come from a pedigree or a family that inculcated us with the right values, if we look all the way back, every one of us is a daughter of Sarah, of Rivka, of Rachel, of Leah. Every single one of us has a spark of our original imahot. So when they want to say, don't look at beauty, look at family, don't look at the exterior, know where I came from, and know that whatever my immediate family is, whether it's illustrious or not, because I came from Sarah, I have what it takes to build the right family and build the right future. And so all of this, and I, I wanted to take you, so maybe I'll just finish with this if you have two more minutes and I'll, I'll end with this because it's very beautiful. The Torah starts by telling us all of these magnificent blessings, but then it gives us the two ends, two polar opposites. In verse 17, it says, and it speaks to the humanity of all of us, and it says, Ki tomar You might say in your heart, all of these goyim, they're too plentiful than me. How am I going to come into this land that you're promising me if there's so many enemies and I'm just small? How am I going to be able to overtake them? In that scenario, you're taking yourself and you're doing what? And you're shrinking yourself down. And of course, what is God's answer? Don't put your yir'ah in them. Don't be not only in fear of them, don't be in awe of them. But remember what God did to Par'or. Remember your history. Remember everything I've done for you, how I took you out of Egypt. And don't worry. The what I did for you then, the music is still playing. I'm still going to do it for you now. And then it takes us all the way. I'm at the end of chapter 8, verse 19. And it's, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 17. Ve'amarta bilvavecha. What is the Torah saying? We have these narratives. We speak to ourselves constantly. We're constantly our own greatest pep talker or our own greatest what? Enemy. Enemy, thank you. And we say these things to ourselves. So you know what God's doing? He's going to take the internal conversation, externalize it, write it down, and say, I know what you're thinking. You're either thinking, I'm too small. Who am I? I can't get there. And when you're thinking that, what, what is God going to say? You're not by yourself. I'm standing right here. I'm in your corner. I never left you. I'm here for you. And then he goes to the other polar side of the story. And what does he say? 
He says, but also, what's going to happen? There are going to be days where you're going to say in your heart, this is a famous line. You see all of this? You know how this got here? Moi, me, my work, my sweat, my tears, my ingenuity, my, my, I'm the one who got all of this done. And at that point, you know what God says? The first case, you forgot God, so you thought you were nothing. The second part, you forgot God and you thought you were everything. Either way, when you think you're nothing, remember God. He's helped you before, he'll help you again. When you think you're everything, be very careful, because it says, Because he's the one who gives you the koach. And he's the one who allows you to succeed. And he's the one who made those promises to your forefathers. These themes keep repeating themselves over and over again. So when we enjoy our day today, and today is considered a day for, inshallah, all of our brides to find their proper mates, matches, their soulmates. Why? I didn't even say this. Why is Yom Kippur like... The, the two be'av. Why is it? Because on both days, on Yom Kippur, we are at our greatest soul. Our souls are at their peak. And if we want to find our soulmate, the person that we were intended to be with, the most appropriate match for us, then the best time for us to find this person is on two be'av during the time of year when everything was turned around and was rectified, when leaving, all the problems started because we didn't want to go into the land, let's say, with the spies, what are we doing on this day? We're leading, taking all uh, roads, the same like those people who dug their graves, because they thought they didn't want to go into the land, how happy were they when they found out they were going to go into the land? Tu Be'av is the day that we could rectify and change, and even if we thought to ourselves, this is the day that the people who think to themselves, that's not for me, I don't want to be there, I don't want to go there, on this day, what happens? We turn it around, and we turn it into the positive, and we say, you know something that is where I want to be, and that is what I want to achieve, and that is the house that I want to build, and we're able to see that through this uh, um, higher place, this higher intellectual place that we can access on Yom Kippur. What does fasting do? It takes away all of the um, physical and all of the negative, and it puts us in this, in this other beautiful place. Margie, yes. I just wanted to say this because it just, I feel like this parallels Akev Tishna'un because Akev sounds like it represents the physical, Tishna'un sounds like it represents the divine voice. And in order to hear the divine voice, you have to put the physical on the shelf. I'm so happy you said that because if you'll see, thank you for saying that. Look look down two lines and you'll see our Akev word again and we should end with this. If you're going to shachawach tishkach, if you're going to forget God, 
and you're going to go after other gods and you're going to worship them, then I'm going to tell you you're going to be lost. You're going to be lost like those ten lost tribes, like the Goyim. You see that word? The Ekev could take you both ways. And the Ekev, which is the heel, which connects literally the bottom, it's a, it's a physical foundation, it takes us all the way up to the intellectual place if we're able to recognize the importance of our, is that what you start to say, of the physical foundation? I'm saying you need to kind of put the physical aside in order to hear the yes voice. Yes and you no. You need to put the physical aside, but then you also need to do what? What is marriage if not the most physical endeavor? So you need to be able to take the spiritual and to take the physical, and you need to have ekev. You need to be able to hear both of them and balance them and bring from the past and take to the future. Basically, this recipe or the key to a healthy marriage is this flexibility. You can't just stay, not only in the physical, not only in the spiritual, not only in the past, not only in the future. You need to be able to be pliable and to be stretchable. And then hopefully with all of this wide enough that we bring in this music. When I say bring in the music, it means recognize that God's playing the most gorgeous, gorgeous overture for us. And the words to those songs are, I made a promise and I intend to keep it and I've been keeping it and I will keep it. Just allow me to. So I hope this is the year that all of our blessings come to fruition and that all of our brides find their mates and that they bring children into this world that are worthy of the full redemption Please Hashem soon. Uh, <laughs>